Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to Everyday People, Extraordinary Leadership. Our guest today is Jim Kuzes. Jim is the co-author with Barry Posner of the award-winning and best-selling book, The Leadership Challenge. In its sixth edition, with close to 3 million copies in print in 22 languages. He was the Dean's Executive Professor of Leadership at the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara University and is a fellow of the Door Institute for New Leaders at Rice University. Jim also co-developed the highly acclaimed Leadership Practices Inventory, a 360-degree leadership behavior assessment completed by over a half a million leaders. The International Management Council Honor Jim with the prestigious Wilbur M. McFeely Award for Outstanding Contributions to Management and Leadership Education. Not only is Jim a highly regarded leadership scholar, the Wall Street Journal cited him as one of the 12 best executive educators in the U.S. Thank you so much, Jim, for joining us today and sharing your insights. Mary, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. I enjoy every moment. Well, let's jump in, and I would love to ground us a little bit. Love to understand. I mean, you've clearly been studying leadership a very long time. How did that come about? How did you first get into this space? What inspired you to focus on leadership in the beginning? Well, Mary, thanks for that question. And let me give you an abbreviated long story. (laughs) I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. So as a kid, I was surrounded by monuments and history and opportunities to visit the Capitol building and all of those government agencies. My dad worked for the government, started as a file clerk, worked his way up to Deputy Assistant Secretary of Labor. I was steeped in that environment from my childhood. And because of that, I knew I had an interest in politics and political science and leadership was a big part of that. When I went to college, I knew that after I graduated, I wanted to join the Peace Corps, which I did. And I thought I wanted to become an ambassador after that. That was my aspiration. But I found that teaching was so engaging that I wanted to come back and do that as a profession. So I switched to teaching. Now, they wouldn't let me teach kids in school because I didn't have a teaching credential, but they did allow us to work with adults. So I joined the Community Action Program Training Institute as my first job back in the U.S., And that really started my journey in applied behavioral science and looking at how individuals and how teams work, how leaders engage the people that they work with. That eventually led me to Santa Clara University, where I directed the Executive Development Center. And one day, as I was unpacking boxes at Santa Clara University, this very tall man in the doorway welcomed me to Santa Clara and said, welcome to Santa Clara. And by the way, you're in my office. And I said, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was in your office. The dean told me this was my office. Excuse me, I'll go back and find it. He said, no, no, no. He laughed and he said, this really is your office. It used to be my office. Welcome to Santa Clara. I'm Barry Posner. 
We made an early connection, literally on my first day at Santa Clara, and we became good friends. We became colleagues, knew that we had some common interest as we walked and talked, and that eventually led us to explore managerial values. We wrote a, our first paper was called Shared Values Make a Difference with Warren Schmidt. And then we wanted to explore leadership more deeply. And in doing that, we came up with a methodology called personal best leadership experiences, kind of like the Olympics and going on right now. People are talking about personal best times for athletes. Well, we thought, why don't we ask leaders about their personal bests? When did you do your best as a leader? And that began then a deeper dive into exploring the practices of exemplary leadership and led to now, as you said, the sixth edition of a leadership challenge and several other books on the topic. That's awesome. I love that background. I didn't know a lot of that. And so you've been researching and exploring for many years, decades, in fact. And what I'm so curious as we get into the full conversation is all the things that maybe have stayed the same, but many things, of course, have changed. And then they still will with the context that we find ourselves in in the world ahead. So it's a great opportunity for all of us to learn from you. How about we start with your seminal work? What are the five practices, Jim, and some of the essentials that you could share with us or at a very high level? Mary, what we did in asking people about their personal best leadership experiences, they began to tell us stories. Think about the time when you think you did your best as a leader. It may have been at work, it may have been at home, it may have been a community, it may have been in a religious organization, it may have been in a sports team, but when did you do your best? And as we asked leaders in organizations, primarily at the start, middle-level positions, some senior, but we wanted to focus not on CEOs. A lot of people, when they write about leadership, only write about CEOs. We wanted to write about kind of the everyday leader. And so we asked these questions, exploring personal best. What emerged from that was a number of patterns. In fact, at Santa Clara University, when we did this exercise for the very first time with a group of people, and we asked them to share them with other people on teams and write them on flip charts and post them on the hall walls in Kenna Hall at Santa Clara, we just noticed, as did everyone else, boy, there's some common themes that come up when we talk about our personal best. And the first of those is when people are at their best, they model the way. They are clear about their values and beliefs, things that guide their decisions and actions. And then they know that people are looking at them to set an example. And so they had to set an example based on a set of shared values and beliefs. But people also want to know from a leader, where are we headed? Where are we going? And so they have to inspire a shared vision, the second of the five practices. They need to envision a future that uplifts and ennobles, and they need to enlist others in a shared understanding of what that future is. But when you can't get to a place you've never been to before without doing some things differently, people told us, so they had to challenge the process, the third practice. And in challenging the process, they searched for innovative ways to grow and improve and change things. And then also they needed to experiment with new ideas. And because experimentation takes risks, you make mistakes, you have to have an attitude of learning from mistakes whenever you're doing something new. And you have to do this as a leader. While we tend to focus on individual actions as if leadership is a solo performance, in fact, it's not. You're doing it with others. It's a relationship. And so you need to enable others to act, the fourth of our practices, which means you need to foster collaboration and create a sense of working together as a team and then strengthen individuals 
so that they're able, with new skills and abilities and freedom to make choices and decisions, to make extraordinary things happen. And the last of the practices, we call it Courage the Heart, because the climb to a new summit is steep, it's arduous, it's difficult, and people need encouragement to continue the quest. You know, it's like we're watching the Olympics now, and there's no crowd noise, and the athletes are saying it's really different. Without a fans in the audience, it's just harder. They continue because they're piping in this other music, and they have a few teammates in the stand to encourage them. But people need that kind of encouragement to do their personal best. So those are the five practices, model, inspire, challenge, enable, and encourage. That's awesome. And did you find as well or over the years that are they equally important? Are they all are necessary? So they come in a set. And also, did you find that at a particular point in time, leaders were better at some, but it was really, let's call it encourage the heart that was much harder or all of the above. First of all, these are five practices, and they don't account for 100% of the variance, and no model of leadership is going to account for 100% of what goes on. There's different company cultures. There's different tasks and projects that people work on. There's a mix of things. Leadership is a multivariate, in academic terms, exercise. It's not something that can be accounted for by one practice. All five practices are important. Think about it, again, as a pentathlon. In order to compete in a pentathlon, there are five events. You can't say, well, I'm not going to inspire a shared vision because I'm not very good about it. Well, I'm sorry. There are five events, and you get a zero on that. That means you're not going to win a medal. You need to participate in all of them. You may not be as good at some as other people are, but you need to develop the competencies to do those things. Some of them are more difficult, as you say. Inspire a Shared Vision has been historically the lowest scoring practice because it's really tough for people to think long term, particularly younger leaders. That is one of their challenges as young leaders starting out. To a college student, for example, whom we work with in leadership development, long term may be the weekend. <laughs> but to an executive, a CEO in an organization, long term could be 20, 25 years. They're thinking out that far in the future and all of the variables and the unknowns that they have to deal with. So Inspire Shared Vision is the most challenging. It's the lowest scoring. And Encouraging the Heart, as you mentioned, also is something that people don't do as well as the other three model. There are challenges that people face, difficulties they have in learning them, but they're all, all five are important. And if you ever find somebody that says, well, this model accounts for 100% of everything, I wouldn't trust necessarily somebody who claims that one or five or 10 variables accounts for everything. Well, and with your leadership practices inventory, you've got great data to know a very large set of leaders who've gone through and been assessed on where the strengths show up and where some of the gaps and opportunities are. Yeah, we just, in fact, are analyzing for the seventh edition, the newest data set, which is around a million people, but we've got over 5 million who, over time, whose data we've looked at. So- you tell me, I think you were an early thinker with the encourage the heart. I mean, I grew up in the whole <laughs> command and control model, and I don't remember that being quite a core. And today, with the context, even pre-COVID, but the context and the world that we find ourselves in, it's so critical and so important. And especially as we move forward, and I noticed in your signature line, you even have a tagline or whatever you'd call it that says, love them and lead them. It's a really, really big core aspect, would you say? It is something that 
is vitally important. And you mentioned during this difficult time of the pandemic, one of those moments that all of us have watched on TV and appreciated is when people have come out on the balcony and cheered frontline and first responders, people in healthcare, because they see how difficult the challenge it is. We kind of know instinctively that it's important to recognize people for really putting forth extraordinary effort and particularly in difficult and stressful times. You remind me of a time I went to a very large Fortune 25 company on the East Coast to do a seminar very early on in our work. And at the end of doing a rehearsal for them, they gave me some feedback. And one of the things they said is, Jim, we just want you to change one thing. And I said, what's that? And they said, you can't use encourage the heart in this organization. We don't talk about heart around here. <laughs> How long said, ago was this? Some time ago? Or? <laughs> this was a long time ago. <laughs> okay, <Yes>. okay. <laughs> Probably about 1988. Oh, I said, well, first of all, no, I'm not going to change it. <laughs> and secondly, it'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Because if you're giving people the book to read, it says encourage really the funny. heart there. So, <laughs> yeah. But it just was a reminder that certain words back 35, 34 or 5 years ago, people felt uncomfortable with. And I love personally starting with Model the Way. And I, not that it's one of the five, but starting with it because leaders can often do the other four, but think it's for everybody else. Not that I go first and I really come from a place of shared values and I show the way. Leaders have to go first, but it goes with the territory. This is just an everyday life. If you're going to ask your kids, to clean up after themselves after they leave the dinner table. Make sure you take your plate to the sink. You better, as a parent, model that same behavior and not expect somebody else to do it. Well, as you grow up as an adult, carry that with you. It's the same principle. It's the same idea. If you're going to expect other people to do something, be true to a value. If you expect collaboration in your team, then don't show competition with your peers outside demonstrate that you're going to collaborate with the people that you work with and you're on the team that you belong to. And so it's the same principle. You have to model the behavior that you're expecting of others. Absolutely. So Jim, how are current events or current contexts really impacting these practices from your point of view? They are stressing us a bit, meaning it's demanding more of leaders, just like it's demanding more of healthcare workers on the front line and first responders. It's demanding more of leaders. We are finding, interestingly, that people are having to work harder to get higher engagement scores. As we look at our data, we have numbers that tell us 92% will say they're highly engaged when you do a practice at a eight, say, we on a 10-point scale. Now you have to go to nine to get that same number of people to agree. So one, it's really harder. You've got to do it more frequently. That's stressful on all of us to have to put forth more effort, particularly in a very difficult time. But that's what's being expected. The other thing is that with work from home, work from anywhere, kids at home trying to school from home, all those disruptions, animals walking through your Zoom meetings, mental health leaders now having to think about the mental health of their workers more than they did before. Trust declined pretty significantly, particularly among more senior people and trust with that whole people were throwing fires on that log of distrust through misinformation, disinformation. That became another issue. So imagine all those things happening at the same time. It did create stresses. 
And on the positive side, people began to recognize the challenges and opportunity for us to do some things better or differently, and we need to step up to the plate. We need to pivot. We need to learn new skills and abilities. So I know you probably did Zoom meetings or these kinds of sessions previously with other people, video conferences and so on, but it became a daily activity, which it hadn't been for most people. We had to learn that competency. We had to learn that ability. We had to get new tools in order to make that happen. A vaccine was developed in record time. That was unheard of before. And so there were challenges for people began to see they could innovate during times like this. And it pointed out to us something else that we learned when we did our very first studies of personal best leadership experiences, the challenges and opportunity for greatness. None of the personal bests were about keeping things the same. We don't do our best when we keep things the same. The pandemic was an external event that shook us at our core and forced us to make changes. But when leaders are at their best, if something isn't confronting them from externally, they will make some change because they know in order to improve, they need to challenge the process. Well, and on that note, going back to your point about trust, I've heard some pockets where leaders or companies really stepped up to the challenge of the crisis and maybe they significantly communicated more. They were really enabling people to do what they needed to do during this time. They were supportive. They were genuine. And trust went up. The Edelman Trust Barometer is something you may follow. And in their 2020 report released in 2021, they reported that in one area, trust either stayed the same or went up. And that was in business or workplaces. Workplace organizations became more trusting overall, or were more trusted by people in the workplace as well as consumers and outsiders than were, say, politicians, or even, interestingly, trust in colleagues, which is mostly the highest trust area, didn't go up as much as trust in executives in business. So, yes, business has become a place where people are now seeing that business could step up to the plate and set an example for others externally on how to create an environment of trust and respect. That's not to say we don't have work to do, but I think because in workplaces, we're working with small teams, we understand that if you don't have a team of people that collaborate, work together, trust each other, you can't innovate, you really can't make extraordinary things happen. So you talked about learning new skills, new abilities. How might an emerging leader or even a current leader continue to really learn and grow towards these practices and then really to just be the best leader they can? In our most recent book, Everyday People Extraordinary Leadership, which was released in early 2021, and we worked on in 2020 during the pandemic, one of the things we realized is that there are more stories about extraordinary leadership out there in the community that we really hadn't been talking about, as well as in the workplace, among people who don't have titles. And just to give you an example of this, we took all the 3.5 million respondents to the leadership practices inventory. We did an analysis only of people who were individual contributors and had no direct reports, but were leaders in their own right, and took a look at only those people and found that out of the 
3.5 million respondents. There were only 581 people who showed no leadership ability. That's 0.0165%. And so the whole notion that leadership is the private reserve of a few charismatic men and women or is something that only people with certain degrees or backgrounds or experience or have some personality or gene. It's just mythology. There are a lot more leaders out there than we realize and recognize. And in order for people to gain the skill and confidence, they first need to believe that they can become a leader. Got to believe in themselves. In psychology, it's called the growth mindset. Carol Dweck on her work on growth and fixed mindset. You have to have a growth mindset. You have to believe that you can change, you can grow, you can improve. You have to have goals for yourself. You need to aspire to excel. You have to set some ideal image of yourself that you can work toward. You have to challenge yourself in order to stretch beyond what you can currently do. As supportive as I am of the notion of working with your strengths, in order to learn and grow, you have to push yourself beyond that boundary of what you're currently capable of doing and test to see if you can learn some new skills and abilities, because that's where the growth is. But it takes other people to help you, just like you have to enable other people to act. You have to engage support, get a coach, get some training, do something to get the help and support of other people. Then you have to practice. So you have to believe, you have to aspire, you have to challenge, you have to engage, and you have to practice in order to become the best leader you can be. I love that. So believe, aspire, push for your yeah, development challenge, yeah. practice. Then the way you're talking about that, I mean, it sounds to me correct me here, though, everyone has some capability. And it's a behavior as much as it's a title or a level in an organization. And not everyone has to aspire be a formal leader as a role. They can demonstrate and show leadership anytime and grow as a leader. Absolutely correct. And there are many more of those people. And if we would encourage them to step up to lead I'm highly confident that we would see more exemplary leadership if we did that. In organizations, leadership development needs to begin before people join because employers these days are expecting new employees to have had some leadership development experience by age 21. That means you get it before you, for the most part, join the workforce. And when people join, unfortunately, organizations have tended to wait till people are in their first or second supervisory role before they give many training. The average age is between 38 and 42 when people get formal leadership training. So as employers, we need to understand that people need that kind of training a lot earlier if we're going to expect people to step up in the organizations and take the lead and make some improvements in the way we do things around here. We have to have the confidence that there are more people out there that can lead than we realize. And would, I presume, open up the aperture on diversity quite a bit. Absolutely. In our studies, in looking at this data, there is demographics that count for less than a tenth of a percent. Wow. (laughs) So by themselves, any one single demographic variable counts for zero, statistically, of why somebody's successful. You, You take education by itself, you take age by itself, gender, any of those variables counts for nothing by itself combined all 10 that we looked at, three-tenths of a percent. Wow. So a question. I want to explore a little bit about your own journey and some of your learnings and lessons. But I was curious, Jim, 
I've worked with you, and I'm a massive fan, I'll just say that right now, in terms of learning from the leadership challenge, also the everyday people, extraordinary leadership, but also the practices inventory. Can someone, obviously they can get the book and read it, can they take the inventory as well, or is that only through an organization? It is available to individuals because it's a 360. You can do this self just by yourself You can, if you would like to. But it's most helpful, as you know, from your decades of work, that you need 360 feedback. You I need think to get so. a full view of because leadership is really in the eyes of the beholder. As much as we may think we're good at something, other people might tell us differently. So we need to get that feedback from others. And that generally involves then an organization agreeing to have a survey like that used in their organization. But you can do it if you want to. And even just reading the book, really being, as you say, with a growth mindset, self-aware and really deciding that there are some practices in there that you really want to work on and improve. Absolutely. And So from your own journey so far, how would a lesson or any learning that you've had yourself on leadership from your own career? As I look back over all this, I think the most important lesson I learned was something that Don Bennett said to me. Don Bennett was the first amputee to climb Mount Rainier, 14,410 feet on one leg. Wow. I said, so Don, what's the most important lesson you learned in climbing the mountain? And he said, you can't do it alone. If it weren't for my wife and seven kids, I wouldn't be alive today. If it weren't for my team, I would have never made it to the top. And here was a guy who did something no one else had ever done. And when I asked him what was the most important thing he learned, he said, you can't do it alone. I keep revisiting that in my mind practically every day. I keep coming back to the same thing. I look at my career and where I am. And if it weren't for all of the people that I've had the pleasure and honor to work with, you included, I would say the same thing that Don said. I could not have done this alone. And going back again to how I got started, my dad was a major influence. He had books on his shelf on leadership and administration. And I didn't really understand how important that influence was until I became much older and went back home to visit my dad and saw those books on the shelf and realized, geez, you know, I'm kind of doing the same thing he was doing. So you can't do it alone. That's awesome. And that may be the big one, Jim, but is there another piece of career advice, something that may have stayed with you throughout your career, something maybe that guided you that you might want to share with us? I think it's a very simple finding from our research that exemplary leadership is a matter of frequency. When you do something more frequently, you get better at it. And when you do something more frequently, it's going to have exemplary practices, <laughs> not the things you shouldn't be doing, like yelling at people, for example. But when you engage in exemplary leadership practices more frequently, it has more of an impact. So the more you can set a good example and the more you can inspire other people, the more you can challenge for the sake of improvement and doing things better, the more you can strengthen other people and foster collaboration, we call enable others to act, the more you can encourage their heart to say thank you. We know statistically that you will be engaging more people and you will be seen by others as a better leader and you will have higher performing organizations. So think, how can I do this more frequently? It's a very important thought to have. I would also say, just become a learning fanatic. Set aside some time every day, regardless of how busy you are, to learn. The more time, the better. 
If you can afford 10 minutes, okay. But if you can afford two hours, even better. Mary, one of the things that's really important is remember you can't lead alone, but you also can't learn alone. So get a coach. Every Olympian has one. So why shouldn't you? I really love that. I'm a massive fan of coaches, of course. I benefited myself. I coach others. I totally agree with you on that. And sometimes I think people are a little bit, either they wait or maybe, I don't know what goes into the maybe not now, maybe a bit stingy about it, but why not, to your point? Why not? If it's helpful to someone who plays a sport, tries to demonstrate a set of skills and abilities in another field, that same principles applies to leadership. We can improve with the help of a good coach. And one of the most important roles workplace can play is not necessarily just get everybody in the same spot so we can make sure we can have meetings, but rather the social connection that people make and the support that they get from their colleagues as an important endeavor. You can get it over Zoom, but it's not the same. You really need to be there in person. And I think it's just a reminder of how important social connection is. Awesome. Jim, I just really want to thank you a ton for everything you shared with us today, but also you've been advancing our thinking on leadership and the practice of leadership for so long. And it's had such an impact. I've personally been impacted by it and benefited from it. Organizations I've been part of have. And I hope it inspires our audience to even learn more on it and to continue to grow, not because we have so much impact as individual leaders, but as you said, all of us are leaders and every day we can be extraordinary and have impact. So thank you a ton. We so appreciate it. My pleasure, Mary. It's always a delight. Thank you, Jim. Look forward to it. Thanks. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Music